Well, my name is Alex Culpepper. I'm an intern here at Village Church. So um, I'm serving at Village Church, and the reason I'm an intern is because I'm studying to become a pastor. So I'm actually working on my Master of Divinity up at Trinity Divinity School in, uh, in Bannockburn. Uh, so it's just up the road like 45 minutes. Um, I've been coming uh, to Village Church for about two years, and I moved to the Chicagoland area about three years ago. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself because some of you know me, but you don't really know me. And so hopefully uh, you'll be able uh, to get to know me a little bit better this morning. So I am originally from uh, a small town in Western Illinois, very rural, and it's about two hours from any major city. And I grew up there, obviously, with my family. My parents raised me. And so I'm going to show you uh, a picture in just a second. But actually, I'm, I'm also going to tell you this. My parents surprised me this morning by driving all the way up here so that they could see me preach. So that, that was, uh, was really cool. Yeah, hey, hey, good. <laughs> So I, I, here's a picture of my parents, and when, when you see it, I want everybody to go, aw, and, and let them know how much you appreciate them. So here's a picture. Aw. Oh, that's very good. Thank you. They really liked that. So this is, this is, uh, this is their um, very successful attempt at a selfie. So I, uh, it's, uh, and so they did a good job, two very beautiful people there. I want to talk to you specifically about my dad. Uh, my dad grew up in the South in Virginia as the son of a guy who ran a bar and grill. So my grandfather ran a bar and grill and, uh, and my dad's mom was there working with him. And so they, my dad got to grow up around the restaurant business. And as a result, he learned a lot about cooking. And so something really neat about my dad is that my dad gets a lot of joy out of helping other people enjoy food. My dad is an awesome cook. And so as, as I've watched my dad, as I've been growing up, he's always been fixing me the greatest food. And what he's really concerned about is not what he wants to eat, but what you want to eat. So whenever he's thinking about making food, he rarely thinks about his own food preference, but he's thinking about what others would prefer to eat. So then it's no surprise that after I moved away and moved up to school, I lost about like 50 pounds. Uh, just because, uh, you know, my dad's not there. He's not saying like, what do you want? What do you want to eat? That's, uh, but this is my dad's attitude. And so um, something interesting, I was, uh, I was bringing home uh, my, my not then wife. She's my wife now, but she wasn't my wife then. Uh, I was bringing her home for the first time as my girlfriend and my parents were going to meet her, and so I'm talking to my dad on the phone. And You know, parents normally ask questions, and they ask the kind of questions like, what do they do for work? Uh, where did they go to school? What did, they, what did they study? Those weren't the questions that my dad asked. The question my dad asked was, what does she like to eat? Uh, and so <laughs> this, is, this just gives you a clue into the, the kind of person my dad is because he has an attitude of submission with food. He, what he wants isn't really important. He's concerned with what you want. And so the other really cool thing about my dad is that this is an attitude that doesn't just stick with food, but it spills over into the rest of his life. That he's willing to lay aside his preferences to, to bring joy to somebody else. And so um, we'll get back to how that connects in just a second. But first, I want to set up the context for you. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians. 
And Paul has been making every effort to equip the Ephesian church for unity. So we start with the first three chapters, and they're all about the doctrine required for unity. And then in the last three chapters, chapters four to six, they're all about the behaviors that we adopt that are going to help to foster and build unity in the church. So we went through the series, we went and we saw how we're blessed in Christ. Then the next series was about how we're saved by grace through faith. Then we went into the United series, how God has brought people from all tribes, tongues, and nations into one body under one Lord. Then we saw how we're transformed, how God doesn't just save us, but he engages us in this process of sanctification, of making us new beings. And then today we move into a series called Life Roles. And generally what we're doing with Life Roles is we're talking about relationships, Now, today's role that we're talking about is the role of a church member, the relationships that a church member has. But the concept that we're going to talk talk about today, it's going to apply broadly to every other relationship that we have. And so the question is, what is that key principle? Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. At Village Church, we submit. So if you're, if you're new to this church or if you've been coming here a few weeks and you plan to be a part of this church for any length of time, what I want you to know is that it's our full expectation that as you become a part of this body, that you will submit, that you will be submissive. Now, a lot of us tensed up when we heard that. And the reason we tensed up is because We're dealing with a definition of submission that culture has given to us. So this is what we hear when we hear the word submission. We hear coerced submission, mandatory obedience, motivated by fear of another who uses power to demand or manipulate. So what are some examples of coerced submission? There's a place where uh, we can see it really clearly, and it works, it works well for what it does. Um, so let's talk about uh, the speed limit for a second. How many of you in this room obey the speed limit because you really believe that the speed limit is the best thing for everyone, and that's, I just buy into the vision of the speed limit? Yeah, no, nobody, no? Okay good. Uh, I'm not alone then. Um, The reason we obey the speed limit is because we're afraid that we're going to get pulled over and somebody's going to give us a ticket. So the government is using its power to demand of us that we obey the speed limit. And in that context, it keeps everyone safe. But there are contexts where coerced submission, it doesn't work so well. Think about work performance. Maybe some of you have bosses who are holding your job over your head and saying, if you mess up, if you don't perform, then you're done. So you have somebody who's coercing you, who's forcing you into submission to do, to perform a certain way because of fear. They're using fear to manipulate you, to demand you. Maybe you had a school teacher who had held shame over your head. So every time you didn't do act a certain way in the classroom or every time you didn't perform a certain way on a test, you had to face and deal with shame. 
Any situation where a fallen human being is exercising authority, there is always going to be the potential for, co- for coerced submission. So as a, as a side note, we're going to be talking about submission a lot today. And one of the contexts that this comes up most often is going to be in the context of the husband and wife relationship. Now, it's my pleasure to let you know that I will gladly not be talking about that today. Uh, instead, I'm going, to, I'm going to toss that off to Michael. And what we're really going to focus on is uh, submission, the general concept of submission within the church, within the church. So our goal today is that we need to dismantle uh, this cultural definition of submission and then replace it with one that better represents what Paul is talking about. And it's going to be a little closer to the kind of submission that my dad practices with food and a lot further from this definition of submission. So the first point is this. When I submit, my preferences take second place. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting. Now, this is the one place where the cultural definition is actually, it's going to line up with the biblical definition, at least on the surface, because there's the reality that we can't get around, that submission at the very least, it starts with a bending of the knee. It starts with me laying aside my preference. The word submission throughout scripture is translated other ways like this. It says, obey. So if somebody gives you a command, obey. Be subject to. Give over control. This is the idea of submission that is talked about throughout Scripture. And so when we see that word, that's what what it means. So when it's my will versus your will, and we're going against each other, at least one of us has to give up our preference to some degree if there's going to be any resolution. When it's my will versus, one of, versus your will, one of us has to bend the knee. And maybe it's both of us in a situation where there would be a compromise. Both of us are giving up some sense of our preference. But the idea is that we have to give up our preference. And so uh, we react to submission. We react to this idea of giving up our preference Uh, One reason justifiably because of coerced submission, because of this cultural definition, because there are really people who use authority to manipulate and demand of people and use it in wrong ways. So we react negatively to submission for a good reason because of that. But there's another reason we react negatively to submission. And it's because it's something that's inside of each and every one of us. And it's called entitlement. Entitlement says, I want, I need, I earned, or I deserve. Entitlement is rooted in the depths of our soul. And it goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve are in the garden, God has created this beautiful, wonderful place for them to live, for them to enjoy life, for them to walk with him. And he said one thing, Don't eat of that tree. And Adam and Eve went and they looked at the tree and they heard the serpent talk and they said, God, I don't know if God really knows what he was talking about. I don't know if God was really right about that. You know what? I think I know. 
And you know what? I think I deserve this. I want this. I need this. And so they took authority, the authority that God had, they took it into their own hands and they ate of the tree. And from Adam and Eve spawned a whole race of human beings who at the core of their souls was entitlement. And they warred against each other. They fought against each other. They lorded over each other. They demanded things of each other. They manipulated each other all the way throughout history. This is the legacy of entitlement. And entitlement is a wicked sickness. And it's a sickness that is at the root of the worst kinds of sins. So let's start with something simple. Talk about thievery. Why does somebody steal something? Either because they want it or they think they deserve it. They're entitled. But let's go to another extreme example of the worst kind of sin. Go back to the last century. The biggest massacre, the Holocaust. You have Hitler who is saying this race of people is more entitled than that race of people. And they need to be executed because they are not deserving even of life. It's entitlement that is at the root. Somebody is more deserving, needs more, wants more than somebody else. And so it's a wicked sickness. And so when Paul calls us to submit to one another, submitting to one another, he's giving us an antidote to entitlement. Submission is the antidote to the sickness of entitlement. And this is how that works. Every time you submit, you're acknowledging by your actions that you do not need power or control. Though you might feel entitled and think that you know best, by submitting, you participate in an act that says otherwise. So the intentional act of submission, every time I submit, I reinforce the truth in my mind. I reinforce the belief that I have no right to act or feel entitled. And submission is, in fact, the way of the kingdom that Jesus preached. Luke chapter 24, verses 24, or sorry, 22, verses 24 to 27. A dispute also arose among them. Them is the disciples. So these are the people who are following Jesus, the spiritual people, and they're arguing as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Which one of us is the most entitled? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. What does that mean? Benefactors means you have a group, a party who is benefiting over somebody else. They're using their authority to benefit over somebody else. They're entitled. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at, ta- at a table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at a table? So he's talking, he's looking at the world, the way the world works. Isn't the one who's reclining, who's relaxing, isn't he the one who's the leader and everybody else is serving him? But Jesus, the leader, the teacher of this group says, I am among you as the one who serves. This is what the implication is for the church. 
the more privilege you have, the more power you have, the more authority you have, then more of a servant you become. And this is where there is a unique difference from the cultural definition. Because the cultural definition always focuses on the power that somebody else is holding over me. But this definition is focused on the power that I have. Now, we have to clarify something. We all have power. No matter who is in authority, we all have, at the very least, the power of resistance. We have the ability to resist. And so the question is, how are you going to use that power? Are you going to use that power to serve and bend the knee? Are you going to use that power to demand, to coerce, to manipulate? You see, submission, it's less focused on the power that somebody holds over us, and it's more focused on the power we have and what we do with it. So, back to the point, when I submit, my preferences take second place. So let me personalize this just a little bit. There are some of you who um, are either leading ministries or, or leading other people, and you're in relationships with people, and the idea of giving up control, it frightens you. And I understand that idea because I, I want to I hold control. I don't want things to fall apart. It comes from this attitude that says, if I don't maintain control, if I don't do things my way, then everything will fall apart. And I understand that. But we have to be honest about where that comes from. It comes from a sense that I know best. I am the best equipped. I have the best ability. I'm the one who can best do this job. It comes from a sense of pride that doesn't recognize that I am a part of the body of Christ. And if I am a part of the body of Christ, then I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm never the most spiritual person in the room. I'm never the most well-equipped person in the room. Everybody here has something that I need for my ministry. I can't operate on an island. And so if the idea of giving up control frightens you, I want to encourage you to take your eyes off of yourself for a second and look, consider who God has surrounded you with because you're a part of a body. That brings me to my second point. When I submit, I honor my brother or sister. Again, Ephesians 5.21 says submitting to one another. So this is where there's a major divergence from the cultural definition, right? Coerced submission says is mandatory obedience motivated by fear of another who uses power to demand or manipulate. But this says submitting to one another. So notice what it doesn't say. Submit to the one with the most power. Submit to the one with the most authority. Now, there are places in Scripture where Paul will call or other, other uh, leaders will call a church to submit to the elders. But in this instance, Paul does not say that. Paul says, submit to one another. He takes out the distinction in the community and says, this needs to be a reciprocal relationship so that the ones who have the most authority and the most power are serving and submitting to the ones who have the least power and the, the ones with the least power are continuing to submit and obey and trust their leaders. Coerced submission and the entitlement that goes along with it when a community 
is led by coerced submission, what it does is it creates division and distinction in the community. So it separates the leaders and the leaders are there lording over the people who are following and, and, and pushing their authority upon the people who are following and demanding of them and manipulating them. But this kind of submission, this reinforces community. It strengthens community. It wipes out the division, the distinction. And that's what Ephesians, Paul's been talking about, wiping out the division, wiping out the distinctions throughout Ephesians. And so this reinforces community. One place where we see this come up a lot um, is in something called the worship wars. So I don't know how many of you have heard that term, the worship wars, but uh, in churches, Uh, No matter if the church is conservative, liberal, evangelical, mainline, it does not matter. Whatever uh, label you want to attribute, in churches, the most divisive thing, the thing that people get most up in arms about is how we do what we do on Sunday mornings. How do we worship? Some people want to go the traditional route. Some people want to go to the conservative route. And so you get different camps of people saying, I want my way. And, and so they're going against each other. And there's one of two outcomes in that situation. Either the church splits and becomes two different churches, or the church functionally splits And you get two different worship services where people in one worship service aren't spending time with people in the other worship service and everybody's just getting what they want and feeding this entitlement monster inside of them, becoming consumers and nobody has to give up their preference. Now, let's talk about Village Church a little bit because that's not the case at Village Church. But the reason that's not the case at Village Church is because you have people here who are giving up their preference for worship. I've talked, I've had many conversations with people here who the way we worship on Sunday morning, it's honestly not the way they would do things. But they've decided to give up their preference because they're committed to something bigger. They're committed to their brother or their sister. They're committed to maintaining unity in this place or they're committed to the purpose, the vision that we have. And so you have people who are willing to lay aside their preference in order to maintain unity in this body. And that's why I'm really grateful to be a part of Village Church. You know, the whole experience of Sunday morning, when you walk in the door, there are 80 different opportunities for you to look at something and say, that's not the way I would do it. You walk in the door, you look at the cafe. Why'd they put the cafe there? That's not a good idea. You look down the hallway, you look at the office. Like, why are the, why are the offices down there? You come in the room, you look at the building. You're like, oh, I don't like, I don't like the, what's on the screen right now. I don't like that background. Jonathan, why'd you pick that song? That was a really bad song to pick. I, and there's just so many things that you have an opportunity to complain, an opportunity to be disappointed at the way things turn out. And each person has preferences in here that aren't being met. But what's happening on Sunday morning is this. The whole experience of Sunday morning is me setting aside my preferences, what I would do, and submitting to what it is that we do. Because I'm committed to unity in this body. And this all comes 
from this idea that the other person is more important than I am. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the question, do I get excited to see joy in my brothers and sisters? Well, then submit. Lay aside your preferences so that you might bring them joy. Do I get excited to see unity in this place? Well, then submit. Lay aside your preferences so that you might preserve unity here. Do I get excited to see purpose in my brothers and sisters? To see them take something and run with it? Well, then submit. Give some authority over to them so that they might develop, that they might buy into the vision. So there's another question, and that one is how far is too far? Because the reality is we can take this idea too far. We can go about submitting to people when it's unhealthy for us or it's unhealthy for the other people. So uh, I, if you're uh, in a situation where there's physical or emotional abuse and you hear me saying submit, what I'm not doing is I'm not telling you to keep on submitting in that situation. Or if you're in a situation where you have to protect someone else and if you submit, then that'll put somebody else in danger. I'm not telling you to submit in that situation. Maybe you're discipling somebody and if you submit, it's gonna really feed entitlement in them. I'm not telling you to submit in that situation. What I'm providing for you is a general concept, an attitude that we need to adopt, and it's really a change of heart that needs to come into us, that God needs to work into us. And with that general principle of submission, we need to use wisdom and discernment that comes from God to figure out how that applies to the given situations of our lives. So yes, there, is, there are limitations to how far we would go, but what we're concerned with here is the principle. And so a guiding and helpful question that might help you out as you're thinking about submission is this. How does my submission in this situation bring God glory? And this is the third point. When I submit, Jesus gets the glory. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ out of reverence for Christ. The reason that it's out of reverence for Christ is, well, there's a numerous reasons, but let's start with this one. Jesus led the way in submission. Jesus went before us in submission. He's in the garden, and he is saying, Father, I do not want to drink this cup of your wrath. He's agonizing. I do not want to do this, but he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done with children. He's engaged in ministry. He's a key ministry leader, a teacher. And with these key ministry leaders and teachers, they're not supposed to spend time with children. They have more important things to do. But Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I'll give them my time. When he's walking on the road, he's going somewhere. He has a mission in mind. He gets interrupted. Somebody grabs his garment. What does he do? Keep going? 
Ignore her? No. Turns around, gives her his time, heals her. Ultimately, he goes to the cross. For a people who had betrayed and rejected him, he continues to go on and serve them by ultimately taking on the death of a Roman cross. Jesus objectively was the most entitled person in history. And this is what I mean by that. Jesus made everything. He's the creator of the universe, one with the Father and the Spirit from before time. It's all his. The most entitled person, and yet he lived as a servant, serving other people. What right do we have no matter the level of authority that we hold to cross our arms in frustration, to make demands, to manipulate, to cast shame on others when we don't get our way. By those standards, Jesus had every reason to do the same to us. And yet he served us and died for us. This is the key. My my motivation matters Jesus served and submitted perfectly, not just to provide us with a model to follow, but ultimately to provide us with the motivation in order to be able to submit. You see, I tend to use my power to force others to do what I want. But Jesus, through his submission to the Father, he used his power to serve others. I tend to view interruptions as an obstacle, but Jesus, through his submission, turned interruptions into opportunities to bring glory to the Father. In my power, I tend to protect me and what's mine. But in his power, Jesus opened himself up to all sorts of dangers and ultimately the execution of a Roman cross. Though I am a weak and sinful human, I tend to feel entitled, like I deserve something. But Jesus, though he held all the power in the universe from before time, he gave up every sense of entitlement in order to save me and to rescue me from the wrath of God against my wicked pride. This is the reality of Jesus' leadership and servanthood and submission to the Father. When I see the lengths that he went to, by the grace of God, it makes me want to serve and submit so that I can make much of Jesus. So then there's a question, how is Jesus glorified by my submission? How does my submission to my brothers and sisters bring Jesus glory? When I submit, I might not want to do it, But by the force of my will, I choose to do it. Because Jesus, by the force of his will, submitted to the Father and went to the cross. Jesus is glorified by my submission because I'm recognizing my role as a part of his body. As one who's been saved, as one who's been redeemed. And in my submission... I'm honoring my brother or my sister in the body who he has also worked to save and redeem. Ideally, 
we would go about this in a joyful manner. Ideally, we would be really excited to submit to our brothers and sisters to lay our preferences aside because we're excited to lift them up, to to love them, to honor them, and to preserve unity in the church. But sometimes we're not going to be joyful about it. And so sometimes we'll just need to be willful about it. Sometimes we won't be happy, but we're still called to do it. Because Jesus, like he worked to save me, worked to save my brother or my sister. And so joyful, being joyful about it definitely brings Jesus glory. But being willful about it, Jesus still gets a lot of glory from someone who chooses by the force of their will to submit. And so, a new definition of submission We started with coerced submission. Mandatory obedience motivated by fear of another who uses power to demand or manipulate. And my hope is that we've come to a new concept of submission. So here it is, mutual submission. A willful and hopefully joyful setting aside of preference in honor of each other out of reverence for Jesus. So what? My encouragement to you, to all of us this morning, how do we put legs to this? What does this look like at Village Church? My encouragement to you is to think about what it could look like to become more submissive. Some examples. Um, Some of you this morning aren't actually a part of Village Church. Some of you are probably visiting Village Church for the first time. Now, uh, a phenomenon in American Christianity is that we have this thing called church shopping, where uh, when, we, when we go to different churches, we look around and we find the church that best fits our preference. And so if you're new or a recent visitor to Village Church, you may stay with us, you may not, and either way, I'm not affected by that. But with this idea of church shopping... Instead of saying, I need to find what I want. I need to find a church that best fits my preferences. Would it not be better to say, is this a church where I can submit? Is this a church where I can give, where I can serve, where I feel safe to give myself over, to bend the knee, to put my preferences in second place for the sake of honoring another person? Let's talk about scheduling. Maybe scheduling is a, is a hard thing for you. You know, sometimes people tend to have really rigid schedules. We're, we live in a very busy culture. We're always going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And so maybe submission for you could look like being more flexible with your schedule, being more open, having more space for other people in the body, your brothers, your sisters. Somebody who does this really well, um, Pastor Tim. Now, I don't know how many of you have known Pastor Tim for a long time or maybe a short time, but if once you get to know Pastor Tim a little bit, you'll learn that he's, he's not a very flexible person. Like, he's just, he's not. And uh, so uh, I've got to know Pastor Tim. One thing that Pastor Tim does that I really appreciate is that he has this thing called an open door policy. Now, he, he likes to work and he likes to get stuck on his work and, and stay in it, and he doesn't handle interruptions really well. But he has an open door policy 
so that anybody who wants to come in and interrupt him is free to do that. And he does it out of submission, out of a heart of service, because he wants to be available to the people in the body. Maybe it could look like this. Maybe it could look like listening just a little bit more when I'm talking, when I'm having a conversation. Maybe it looks like listening a little bit more and talking a little less. Maybe it looks like asking and being interested in somebody else, asking them questions instead of just talking about what it is that I want to do, what it is that I would prefer, what it is that I like. Maybe I'm more interested in what it is that you like. And so maybe submission looks as simple as listening more and talking less. What about young and old? Churches uh, tend to, to break up into factions along these lines, and, and there's never any uh, intergenerational ministry going on. There's just these people who have their different camps. And the, the young people want to be hip and, and go their direction, and the old people want to stay where they're at and do things the way they've always done it. And this is uh, just the stereotype. I'm not saying that this happens in Village Church, but... Uh, but this is what happens. But what would happen if the young people look to the old people and say they have more experience? They know more. They've been in this game a little bit longer. And so I'm going to submit to them because they probably know better than I do. Or what if the older people in the church looked to the younger people and looked at their passion and their boldness for the gospel and their excitement about Jesus and said, what I'm going to do I'm going to submit to them by giving authority over to them, by allowing them to run with ministries, by allowing them to make much of Jesus with whatever it is they do. And so you have a reciprocal submission between the young and the old. Well, the last example, uh, Brianne Fueling, uh, the director of our counseling ministries here at Village Church, uh, she often talks about something called the 60-40 rule. So when you have two parties in an argument, uh, they're debating about something, and it's not necessarily a sinful issue. It's, it's something that could legitimately go either way. One person feels 40% that it should go this way. One person feels 60% that it should go this way. The person who feels 40% submits and sets their preference aside because they're more concerned about preserving unity in the relationship. They recognize how, how intensely that this person feels about it, and so they submit because what they care about really is preserving unity and promoting unity within the body of Christ. So here's a major key that we just need to think about. The reason we can afford to submit in the body of Christ is this. We're a part of the same body. We're ultimately united in a common purpose. Ephesians 4, 4 to 6 says this. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. We're all united in a common banner. And I can trust you as my brother or my sister because I know that you are under the banner of Jesus just like I'm under the banner of Jesus. And we're moving in the same direction and ultimately we have the same goal. This is how I can trust you with my submission. 
So then, two questions, two questions that are going to come up with mutual submission. I'm talking a lot about giving mutual submission. How do we submit to one another? So there's a question of how do we receive mutual submission? Because if, if we're all going to be giving, then at some point, somebody's going to be receiving. So let's go back to coerced submission. How would the, the one who's coercive, the one who's demanding, the one who's manipulating, how would they receive submission? They'd receive it with expectation. They wouldn't be all that surprised about the submission because they expect it. They know it's coming. But how does one in mutual submission receive the, the submission? Well, if we're not entitled, we receive it with gratefulness, with graciousness, with a heart that says, you submitted to me, you gave that to me, you bent your preference, you made your preference second for my sake. Thank you. Thank you. I don't deserve that. I don't want that. I don't need that. But you did it for my sake and for the sake of preserving unity here. Thank you. So we receive mutual submission with gratefulness. And the second question, and a question that's definitely going to come up if you've spent any time in church, what if I've been wounded by mutual submission? Every person or nearly every person here in this room has been wounded by some degree by people in the church because they gave their will over and, and the person abused their authority and did something wrong. So what if we've been wounded? I'd invite you to consider Jesus. Jesus who submitted to the Father for our sakes who saved us from sin and who I guarantee that perhaps even every day each one of us is wounding on a continual basis. We're all doing something that wounds Jesus and yet he still submitted to the Father for our sakes. His submission is continual. And so when we ask, well, what if I get hurt? Well, what if I've been wounded? That's going to happen. In fact, I would say to expect it because who are you submitting to? You're submitting to another fallen human being. This is the reality. But is the question, is this about me and how I'm wounded and how I'm hurt? And I get that, that the wounds and the hurts, they're deep, and they're difficult. And I don't want to diminish that at all. But Jesus, though we wound him, continued to submit. Continues to save people. Continues to bring us into this life. So if we've been wounded, we keep submitting. We keep submitting because we're following our Savior. And his action was to keep submitting. So, how to be a church member at Village Church we submit. I want to tell you just a brief story. I've been uh, involved in just the, the leadership of this church and uh, ministry director. I, I uh, direct the Victory Center ministry uh, at, at the assisted living home just down the street. So we have a ministry there on Sunday mornings. Um, so I've, I've started that back, back in about February or March and got, have been starting to get to know the leadership culture of Village Church. And let me tell you that in this church, 
The leadership culture here is one of the most mutually submissive cultures that I have ever encountered in church. You have leaders who are submitting to those who are under them or who are asking, what would you do? What would you change? My preference isn't important. What's more important is the mission and the unity of this church. And so it's very common in this church. An example, in the children's ministry, uh, you have Tom Beanert, who is the ministry director. But also working under Tom are three previous children's ministry directors. So in churches, when, when, you, uh, when somebody else, another ministry director comes in, generally you don't, you don't serve under them. For whatever reason, people get prideful or, or whatever it is, they're just not willing to serve. They're not willing to submit to that new person. But in this church, you have people who are willing to submit because they're concerned with preserving unity and they're, they're excited about the mission. A really cool thing that I've got to be a part of. I'm, you know, I'm basically just a kid. Um, I, I uh, am in seminary. I don't have ministry experience that amounts to a whole lot. Uh, and I not have a lot of church experience and I haven't been at Village Church all that long either. But I have leaders over me, people who are talking to me, who are asking me, what I think, who are communicating me value, that, that they care about how I am involved in this ministry and what I might have to say about it. And I can tell you that has been one of the, the most welcoming things and the most valuing things to me. And it help, has helped me to buy more into the vision of this church and to be more concerned about the unity of this church. So let me just say that mutual submission is just rampant throughout the leadership culture of this church. And it's something that I hope pours over onto the rest of the body. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, you led the way in submission. You submitted to the Father on our behalf so that we might have life. Father, as we look at that submission of Jesus. Would you help turn us into people who want to honor and give glory to Jesus and honor our brothers and sisters and lay aside our preferences so that we simply might submit, so that we might preserve unity in this place, so that we might see the mission go forward. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the way that you submitted on our behalf. And Lord, I pray by a work of your Holy Spirit that you would turn this church into a people who submit. Lord Jesus, thank you for the work of submission that you've already brought to this church. And I pray that you would expand it even more. We trust you with these things, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.